Uh, all right, people. Welcome to the this episode of the Bar and Bar. Uh, today I'm here in Sydney, CBD, Prince of York, with two of my friends of um, from the industry. One is uh, my mentor, Rhys. Um, I worked with him on um, the previous restaurant. It was uh, tequila and Mexican food. And the other person is Phil Bailey. This um, He's the Mezcal Global Ambassador here in Australia. Well, global, the world. <laughs> uh, I met him uh, a few times. And yeah, let's see. You guys want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, well, as Diego said, my name is Reese Griffiths. Um, what about me? Um, I started a little thing in Sydney called the Agave Cartel, which is basically just a group of tequila, mezcal, agave spirit enthusiasts to try to kind of really push the category. So I started, you know, trying to offer tastings and really kind of educational side of that. Um, that kind of led me to a lot of work with Phil into Agave Love and, and kind of pushing further into the industry. Obviously, open Chula and work there with you, which is a, a tequila and mezcal um, bar and restaurant. Uh, and then more recently, I've been working with a brand called Origin Reyes, which is a producer from Durango, um, to try to bring these products to, to Australia. So that's kind of the next kind of step for me is bringing some of the spirits I love over here to try to spread the love of mezcal. That's, I guess, a lot what Phil's doing as well from outside of, of Oaxaca as well. That's me. And feel like for the people who don't know you, you want to share a little bit of um, how did you start it, like in the mezcal industry? No. Probably, or? <laughs> that was crazy, right? I don't want to tell anyone anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Well, I've been working with Agave Spirits for about 40 years. Yep. Started in Amsterdam uh, and together with my partner, Thomas Estes, who is the official tequila ambassador appointed by the CRT. Okay. Uh, we've opened about 18 tequila or tequila, tequila mezcal, agave spirits bars yep. in six countries. Wow. Uh, I opened the first, with Tom, opened the first tequila bar here in Australia, in Sydney. Ran that for 13 years, I think it was. And eventually closed it due to, you know, the landlord and they were going to demolish the building, but then started this program called Agave Love. Uh, one of the big things I noticed selling and promoting tequila was the growth of mezcal and how little people knew about what mezcal was. Yeah. And so that was when I closed Pacifico. Then I got the idea to start this program with Reese called Agave Love, uh, which was getting the people who inspired me and made me passionate about agave spirits in front of other people, you know, yourself or whatever, yeah. to actually hear them firsthand talking about what it is, how they make it, where it comes yeah. from, the history, the culture, the way of life, really. Awesome. And that's what I'm still doing today. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Because um, when, I, when I started working with Reese, um, I didn't have anyone before, like even in Mexico, to teach me about agave spirits. And even if I wanted to learn about it, five years ago, even in the city, in Mexico City, it wasn't that big. 
or it was just for like a certain group of people. And if you don't travel to Oaxaca or the other states that you have mezcal or tequila, it's a bit difficult to, to either understand and learn. You know, like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not mainstream. Yeah, no, Definitely not mainstream. Maybe now, now, now that I see my friends and all the industry in Mexico City, people are more keen to learn, to, to teach, to promote all the Mexican um, agave spirits. So, and I mean, every time that we had chance in Chula, like I was asking you a lot of questions about Mexico, but to travel more, I can even feel you. You've been traveling more than me. <laughs> in my in my own country, uh, but yeah, that's probably one of the reasons that I want to start doing this and go back to Mexico. So I wanna, I think I told you before that I wanna, yeah, work like closer to the producers and learn. Which is really important to have that link as well, because I both Phil and I, obviously, I was lucky enough to to go there firsthand, and and it's a it's such a, an amazing experience to be in where these producers are and meet them and, and see how passionate they are and how much these spirits mean to them. And I think that's one of the things that makes you fall in love with these spirits. Mm. And for people that haven't been there, it's hard. And I think that was probably the main thing we wanted to do with Agave Love is, you know, get this message across to people, like why we're obsessed with it. You know, it's not just because it's delicious. It's so much more than that. It's the place, the people, you know, how incredibly unique all the different villages are that yeah you get you can only get from going there and that's kind of I guess the next step is trying to get that passion and understanding to people obviously we're probably not going to be able to travel for a while so how do we now still spread that love I think a big sorry if I may say I think as I mentioned before mainstream when we were I mean for me even Mexicans didn't drink really tequila when they used to go to Mexico in the 80s. It was like a poor man's drink. I think Presidente Brandy was the biggest selling spirit. And then it was, still is. It still, still yeah. is the number one spirit. And then Bacardi was yeah. huge, which is made in Puebla. Mm-hmm. And then Scotch, or whiskey, basically. Bucans. But I think what really changed that, and that was one of the attractions I found with both tequila and mezcal, was it was like a bit of a bohemian spirit. And if you think, like, in particular, Mescaleros, which is where my whole direction has gone into Mescal, these guys are not making it because it's hip and cool, like gin. Oh, gin's really hot. Let's open a gin distillery. These guys have been doing it for generations because that's what they do, and that's not for, you know, some hip and cool people in New York City or in Sydney or wherever. It's actually for the family or the yeah, village, the town, right? and that's where it all comes from. And their traditional processes are still being replicated today, even they are inefficient. And I mean, in comparison to any other spirit industry I know, it's just not realistically practical to, to make them that way. But that's what makes them so special. Yeah. And now what we're talking about with mainstream, this is coming about from the celebrities wanting to have ownership of first tequila mm-hmm. with what's his name George Clooney and whatever yeah. and now with Mescal you know the guys from Breaking Bad and, oh, yeah. I mean which now has then gone to these companies like Diageo Pernod Ricard mm-hmm. Campari 
Bacardi, I mean, they are buying into this market because they see, one, it's unique, but two, people are getting passionate and popular, you know, popularizing it, which is just going to take it even further. Yeah. But as you said, to find people who really know, I find it quite interesting myself because when I first started in this industry, it was like this low-key group of people that were just like really that weren't Mexican, but just going, man, this shit's really cool. And, you know, I remember working with you on stuff, and it was like, now I really see this growth in popularity of tequila and mezcal, and it's like there's a lot of ego coming into this whole thing now, which is a bit like, whoa, it's almost a bit scary. Yeah. But it's really fascinating, and when you just stick to the heart and the soul of the spirit and the people, the real people behind it, it's one of the most unique spirits coming from one of the most unique plants on the planet and it's probably it's going to be hard to keep that one right like not because if you compare tequila with mezcal uh tequila it's it's a mass produce yeah totally and do you think that mezcal is going to be like that in a few years no well as an example in fact i was just writing something about this there are about 165 distilleries producing about 215 million liters of tequila last year. In Mezcal, there are about 2,000 people in the industry, but about 1,200 mezcaleros around the country who produce 2.15 million liters of Mezcal. Now, the reason why, because of their production process, Average size of a tequila still is, say, a thousand, but it can be anything up to five thousand liters in one go. Boom, five thousand liters of tequila. Mm-hmm. Mezcal, you're looking at 150, 200 liters in average size in one. But if you're going to a, an ancestral, some of these are only like thirty or fifty or sixty liter jugs yeah. that you're double distilling. So the volume that it's even physically capable of producing is tiny. Now. Sorry, I'm going to talk a bit, but a really good example for me is Del Marguerite. They got sold to Pernod Ricard. So I know the producer I'm in San Luis del Rio. Uh, they used to have four stills, and it was like a little you know, shed lean-to mm-hmm. on the side of the river. Now that Pernod's come in, they've actually redeveloped that whole site. They work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they've got 15... Stills, and they've done the same thing as what Patron did. Just replicate this. They've small just taken small stills, 150 or 200 liters probably, yeah. and they've just built lots of them. But the impact that's having on that environment is going to be interesting to witness to see what happens in a couple of years. But it's like they've, they're seeing the importance of maintaining that process and just replicating it. Do you think that the CRM is going to protect or is going to put some limitations to big companies? Do oh. you think that it will be the ideal? I mean, the, the I mean the, the last breakdown where it's mezcal or industrial mezcal separated by artisanal and ancestral sort of does that. In terms of volume, I feel like it's going to be pretty hard to ever enforce that. It, that's, you know, that's a... People are going to produce the most amount they can with the agaves they can get, right? Because it's just a business sense for them. Um, I can't imagine they're going to put volume clauses on things. In production, the 
biggest production last year, if I believe correctly, the biggest growth was in industrial mezcal, but the biggest export market was in artisanal mezcal. So I see the whole thing with mezcal, what makes it so appealing and attractive is that smaller production, that artisanal or ancestral process, which gives it those specific flavors that you will never get from an industrial. Exactly. Now, the whole idea of making industrial, I was, to begin with, I'm going, oh, this, you know, this is really not good for the industry. <laughs> In fact, it actually is helping to protect the industry yeah. because those mass market people who want to drink mezcal because I just want to drink mezcal, um, it's actually helping fill that gap while the people who are really, I mean, if you look at whiskey, the biggest selling, the biggest selling volume of whiskey is blended whiskey yeah. and single malt is like a tiny market mezcal Still, for me is very small similar. batches right yeah okay i mean hopefully doesn't affect like you said the environment yeah and the people who produces artisanal mezcal making industrial mezcal you get more volume more product from one agave than you would using artisanal or ancestral so it's also more efficient for the sustainability yeah but it's like a big, who knows? Yeah, it's a big crystal ball. Yeah. But I think, the, as you're saying, the global trend is for artisanal and ancestral styles. And I think there's now more of a recognition from both bartenders and consumers that to drink those rare spirits, you've got to pay a premium for them as well. Because I think for a long time, Everyone just wanted like the cheapest thing, the cheapest thing, the cheapest thing because yeah, I want to pour it in cocktails, I want to do this. They don't understand how hard it is to produce these spirits and didn't want to pay $150, $200 a bottle for them. But I think now the appreciation for how limited these agaves are, how hard it is to actually produce a bottle of that, you know, and get yeah. that to Australia, for example. I think, you know, that's now becoming more understood more widely that you've got to spend the money if you want something that special. And I think that's where you're seeing that difference in what people are drinking as well. Yeah, something that I've seen is now you see more bartenders that they're talking about rare mezcal, like Tepestate or Cenizos. And it's pretty cool because some of them, they haven't been to Mexico or they've been just to one part of Mexico. But thanks to people like you, like Happy, when he does the tequila talking, they're getting more knowledge. And can you guys talk a little bit about like when was the first Agave Love tour or what was about it? Yeah, well, how long ago was that now? The first one was in 2015. Okay. The idea started in 2014 and it was actually based on Tales of the Cocktail. Yeah. So, which is in New Orleans and mm -hmm. the idea was doing really in-depth uh, and unbiased tastings and talks about the industry. So talking about, well, you know, like different mezcals from different states or different types of agaves or tequila yeah. from the highlands as, as opposed to tequila from the valley or aged tequilas in comparison to, you know, aged whiskies. But the idea was using small venues which were all within walking distance and we had, I think, in, in total, it was about 10 venues. Yeah. Including the parties. Yeah. They were all pretty much 
in, within walking distance, except for the one which was in Bondi, uh, in Bondi, with Bildo, because he had he Mr. opened Mr. Australia's Mr. first mezcal yeah. bar, and I had to include him because he's such <laughs> a crazy cat. <laughs> but bottom line was, it was all there was like in two days we did forty six talks and tastings in ten venues or in eight venues, and then we had. It was kind of like a. Mini festival. It was. It huge. was not a mini. It was oh, huge. <laughs> but we I had, think we had 25 Mexicans come out. We had representatives from the CNIT, the CRT, the CRM, and as well as tequila, mezcal, bacanora, ricea. We had mixologists. We had mescaleros and tequileros. It was, it was mind blowing the people we had <laughs> for this event we put on in Sydney. You know, like people I look up to in the industry, basically the who's who of the agave spirits industry was here. And it was kind of mind-blowing to have them, you know, sitting in Shady Pines doing a chat. Um, And the coolest thing, I think, was that they were not brand-led tastings. They were unbiased about the category you know, most almost every tasting, I think we did blind, blind until tasting. the end. Yeah. So everything was blind, because what we didn't want is people getting up and giving brand chat. Um, we wanted people to taste and have a blank slate of what their expectations were for everything, and really kind of learn about that as it was. So it was, yeah, it was crazy some of those. And also, what their previous exposure has been. So if you see, say, a bottle of Patron. And you're going, oh, this is Patron. You already know, oh, this is great. Well, how do you know it's great? Because you're, you're tasting it with your brain. You're not tasting it with your tongue yeah. or your, your senses. So the idea was to put spirits out and let people taste. I mean, Cueva, Especial or whatever. You know, people are going, oh, that's shit. Well, maybe it isn't. <laughs> and maybe for you, you really like it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, don't let that marketing fool you as to what you should like and what you shouldn't like. True. So that, but, man, the logistics on that, I mean, work with Reese, I could never have done it myself. I mean, it was a massive amount of work just in the preparation for two-day event. It was yeah. crazy. But then we had something like, I worked out there was about 2,000 glasses we had to use because they're all blind tastings. You had six glasses for each session. And venues, average size was like 30, maximum 50. And we'd have two sets of glasses for each venue. Because yeah. there was like half, like a, there were one hour sessions and a, and a half hour turnaround. Half hour turnaround for so you'd time. never wash 180 or 200 glasses yeah. in that time and get them back. It was insane. It's crazy. <laughs> what were we thinking, man? It was so much fun. It was so much fun. And it was, it was, awesome. it was the first time, I think, that these spirits got like we're talking about got this push and you can see people's passion here and when you've got the guy that's making it talking about, about his family you, you got know, Guillermo like, or you've got you know Guillermo Erickson from Fort Lace or, or you've got Ivan Sardano Ivan Sardano was out the anatomy here, of the agave which was know, probably my favorite favorite seminar yeah. that I saw was just super nerdy but yeah. just incredible to hear these people Talking to bartenders in Sydney about it. Or even, know. what's his name, uh, from New York? Um, Phil Ward, Phil Ward or from Marin Young, making drinks with mezcal and tequila, just showing how far you can push these spirits. And, and before that, before doing that Agave Love in Sydney, and I mean, before that, it was Cafe Pacifico. Yeah. But how, how big was tequila or mezcal in, in Australia? 
Tequila was pretty popular. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it was, well, we'd been selling it for 13 years and we had a huge selection. And as many other venues, I mean, he was working at Low 302. Low 302. And that was just, I don't know, what was the, the vibe or the theme of that bar? Well, it was always just a, a cocktail bar, but, but obviously when really I took it over, I, I basically about half the back bar was agave spirits while yeah. I was there. It was like, and that was happening around Sydney. Yeah. Once, I think once, it's funny because at the start, you had to source everything yourself. Like yeah. there was, just remember like the brands like Oretto and Siete Leguas and Fortaleza at the time weren't, yeah. weren't being brought into the country so if you wanted stuff you traveled to mexico or you yeah, bought it online yeah. or you got your friends in the states to buy it and set like ship it over to you so people were going out and finding the stuff they love and having it in the back by i still remember bayswater brasserie back in the day and yeah they were one of the first kind of guys to have stuff like not besides Pacifico, they have like 1942 or some of the rarer bottlings of Heredura that they had pre-2006 stuff. And mm. people were have, having to work a lot harder. Like right now, we've got a plethora of great spirits that you can just order. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, they're being brought into the country now, but it was, wasn't the way. You had to piece together your backbone. And now there's this new distributor down in or bottle shop, online bottle shop. Was it Tequila Mezcal something? Top Shelf? which is now actually making it available for consumers, mm. which is really important. For me, you could buy a lot of this stuff. Well, it became and still pretty much is the case where if you're a venue, you can get access to an amazing selection of stuff. As a consumer, it's still it's incredibly where difficult. do you find it? Yep. And so now, you know, for me, it's really getting bottle shops to carry the stuff to sell. That's really exciting. True. I mean, nowadays people are still asking, like, where can I buy these this mezcal or this tequila. Yeah. I know yeah. just a few bottles, like, I mean, the big one. There's a few There's a few great bottle stores. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, Sydney in particular, you got, like, Liquor on Oxford and the guys at yeah. um, the Oak Barrel and the smaller kind of independent guys. Yeah, they, they stopped them. Petersham, what was it, the um, Petersham Cellars? No. Oh, what are they called out there? Oh. But anyway, there's a few... Yeah. Oh, camper down sellers. Camper down sellers. There's a few sort of specialty shops where you can find it, but find still, it's limited. All you have to order it through them. Yeah, but and it's been a challenge. After that, that Gabelob, you guys decided to go overseas. Or well, how? doing that one, so I was already traveling quite a bit anyway. Um, and after we finished Sydney, then I took about ten or tw it was about ten of us. We did a tour. We did Perth. Melbourne and Brisbane. And we just did like one session in each city, but at least that way people who couldn't come could get an opportunity to, to see us and meet some of the it's guys. It's a little agave all-stars road trip, yeah. basically. <laughs> man. Anyway, bottom line, what? sorry about the French. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, after that, people go, oh, you should do it again. I'm going, man, I'm not doing this again. I mean, one had almost killed us. Yeah, it was yeah. such an insane but, amount of and work. Cost an, I mean, it cost about, I think the total budget was about $200,000. And I ended up losing about twenty, which, I mean, I was lucky yeah. in that sense. But still, bottom line is then I thought, well, why don't we actually go somewhere else? Do it. And for me, Singapore was a really new bartending you know, environment. <laughs> that I could see them really keen to expand 
into new spirits and especially agave spirits. And I thought, rather than just go to Singapore, and if, if we've got this group of people together, why don't we do like that thing where we could do Singapore, Macau, Hong Kong? So we actually did that. We worked with, and one of the big ideas with Agave Love was not to have it specifically in Mexican restaurants. It was more the idea to have it in some of the best bars in the world. To take it out of that is, concept of being, well, cool. I'm in Mexico or in a Mexican restaurant, I drink Mexican, you know, I drink yeah. tequila. You should be in any of the bars you want and drink the best. Drink tequila. Because yeah. it's an international spirit. It's no longer a Mexican spirit in that sense. So anyway, we had 28 Hong Kong Street, like award-winning venues. We had Tippling Club. Tippling Club. We had Vasco. Uh, Vasco. We had the Proof Flat, because we worked actually with Proof & Co. a lot on this. And they helped us do some of the logistics there of glassware and venues and all that sort of stuff. Literally so, saved our lives. Yeah. <laughs> because it was a lot more complicated doing it in another country when you're not there. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, you know, they helped us with staffing and all that sort of stuff. So we did that. Then we did Macau, which was weird. That was it like, was super weird. <laughs> it, was it was very weird because it's like this. Uh, Where it's City of Dreams Disneyland. casino. Yeah, this Disneyland world, which is so surreal. But anyway, we did a session there, which was great. And then we did Hong Kong, but in the end, we couldn't actually do the full blown plan for Gabi Love there because we needed business visas. And I was working with Pro Mexico at the time, yeah. and they really screwed me around, saying, no, you don't need it. Yes, we do. No, we don't. And in the end, we found out that we did. And it's this case there in Hong Kong where they will actually take you and put you in jail <laughs> if you're doing, because it's China. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so it selling tickets to I'll seminars. Tell you, tell you what we'll do. We're just going to do sessions, but low-key, yeah. spread the word in the industry, and boom. As opposed to the really well, you know, like, and we had like eight venues lined up there. Well, in the end, we could only use about three, I think it was. That's crazy. But still, we got to all those venues, we got the, the word out, and we had all this team with us. So just the, the energy that was generated from doing that was amazing. Yeah. And in fact, with... Julio just told me, he said, Julio Bermejo, mm. who's another tequila ambassador, yeah. um, he said to me, Phil, I was in Singapore, and he only said this to me last year. I was in Singapore last year, and all those brands that came to Agave Love are still there in the bars. Mm -hmm. And he said, man, that's incredible, because you actually introduce that stuff there, and it's yeah. there, and it's selling. Yeah, yeah Which there was, there was a lot of spirits we brought over that yeah. weren't previously stocked in Singapore, like... A bunch of mezcals I remember that hadn't been brought over yet. The Leander stuff and a lot of a lot of products. Yep. So, is it, it was a Alipus, there yeah. was I mean, it was a lot of stuff. There was Ricea. It was like I think the impact that had Fortaleza. Even, I don't think was there either. No, no. I think the impact it had on a lot of the bartending community over there was massive for, mm. for the category. And then Hong Kong as well was crazy times. That's a crazy town. Oh. I'm just so sad for what's happening there now. Yeah. Still remember that when we did the guest shift takeover at the Pontiac and <laughs> the fucking dishwasher, glass washer oh broke God. and flooded the bar. So I was meant to be doing like a three-hour guest shift and I ended up working like oh, nine hours. <laughs> just sort of like on dispense, just punching yeah, out drinks. Just like, Reese, you're there. <laughs> Do not fucking move. Yeah, yeah, I remember you made that drink that was 
not correct or something like oh, that? Oh, mate, I was getting screamed at. I couldn't find stuff. Like, yeah. Obviously, I've never worked in this bar, and the girls are just giving it to me yeah. about being slow and not being able to find stuff. And, like, <laughs> and then you made that drink, and you go, oh, it's a mistake. And she just grabbed it and just went, you, you thirsty? Here, that's yours. Give me the money. <laughs> it's like, he doesn't know, didn't know what he was getting. It's just like you're drinking it. And you're paying for it as well. So after that, then I did um, Helsinki, Minsk, and St. Petersburg, which was pretty crazy. And that was, once again, that was a tour with a whole bunch of guys. Reese couldn't join me on that because that was, you were away or I can't remember you were working I can't remember I think we were maybe what, what year was that what were you, maybe that working? was 16, 16. 17 because 15 was Sydney and Australia probably would have been working on the opening of Chula Southeast maybe. Asia yeah oh yeah I was probably opening yeah. Chula at that point so then and then 18 I did a mini one in Kuala Lumpur okay with uh, a couple, of, well, Ivan was there. I had Jesse and James and myself, uh, Ivan Saldana, and then I did London as a part of London Mescal Week. Okay. Uh, I did a series of events through there. With we had a number of mescaleros come over, and what's it? Um, yeah, there was probably about ten mescaleros came over for that. And then I did Japan, and they were meant to be joining me at the last, the eleventh hour. They had flights and hotels; they couldn't come because it was elections In, for the CRM. Okay, yeah. And there was this whole political explosion of threats, and man, it was like, yeah, there was going to be shootouts and all sorts of stuff going on, and they couldn't leave. So in the end, I did it with Julio, but then I did it again last year with them. And they did come with the CRM, and then, and we had like ten mescaleros. Where in Japan? In Japan, okay. Tokyo. We did Tokyo, Nagoya, and Osaka. Amazing. How's the the mescal agave spirit seen there? Yeah. Well, the first year I did it, when I was it was 2018. No one knew what the hell it was. It was insane. And I got tequila everywhere. Yeah, because Japan used to produce. Tequila, right? Yeah, they've got tequila everywhere. And in fact, I teamed up with a lady uh, who does the tequila festa. uh, And I said, look, the whole thing she was doing was just a big party. It was basically one afternoon and people go around and different bars join up with uh, venues, uh, with brands and make a cocktail. And people go around, they pay to come in, there's DJs and stuff. And you try the cocktail and it's like the... um, what do you call it? The general choice of what people people vote to see which one they like best. I said, look, there's no education program in here. Why don't we do an agave love? So I'd been working and talking with her for probably six years, and then finally it happened. Uh, but the first one, it was like, mezcal, what the hell is that? Second year I went back, there was already mezcal really growing fast. Wow. And now, in fact, they've just appointed a new mezcal ambassador from Japan. His name is uh, Hisashi Pancho. We call him, <laughs> and so the growth of mezcal has really taken off. Actually, they—I don't know when they open a mezcal bar in Japan. Japan, well, there's okay. one called Quish. Quish, yeah, that one. Yeah, that's the one that I know. I mean, yep. I know they've been open only maybe a year and a half, two years, I think. It's very recent. Yeah, I don't Huge believe they were there in 2018. Yeah. Probably not. I'd be very interested to see what a Japanese mascot bar is like. 
Very small. Yeah, very, <laughs> very small and packed to the rafters with bottles, probably. Man. In fact, yeah, it was really cool doing sessions in Japan because they love to drink. Yeah. And I remember taking the boys, we went to uh, the guys from the CRM, we went to this amazing sushi bar down in the fish markets, yeah. took a bottle of mezcal and we drank it there with sushi and it was amazing. incredible. And these guys, amazing. they're used to sochu, you know, the chefs behind the mm -hmm. counter, and they're going, what are you drinking? They're going, wow, this is really good, man. So I was like, <laughs> it was insane. Anyway, getting off track there. No, no, no. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Like, all the stories that you guys have. Most of them like, probably around. aren't so podcast the next, material, though. The next one I want to do, in fact, I'm work, trying to do, is um, South Africa. That would be interesting. And I've been talking to a few people there, but now with all of this just happened, mm. everything's just gone I remember dead in the water. That was the big conversation we are having with Will when we were in yep. Singapore about... Yep how South Africa's becoming this huge market for particularly tequila and mezcal at the yeah. moment. And they've got a long history of producing agave spirits there. They've, there's now one on the market that's produced in the... Karoo? Karoo. Produced yeah. in the style of a mezcal, but they have these giant sheds where they roll it in and it's still cooked like almost smoked but not buried underground mm -hmm. start a big fire and it's that's how they're roasting the pinions but they've got a, an, an endemic species of agave over there um i haven't tasted it but i've seen no. it around i think it's yeah. kind of caught on in the uk a bit but that's there's, there's another one with a leopard leopardista mm -hmm. or something yeah yeah so they've been producing in fact they were producing tequila false tequila yeah. for a number of years until they had to stop that's, yeah, that's where Sophie um, yep. from Kai 23 got to start. She was yeah, working yeah. in South Africa and met Julio. Yeah. Didn't she fall in love with tequila and moved to Mexico yeah. to me? Yeah. Was yeah, it? they hired her because she was a uh, biochemist. Yeah. Do you think that an agave law will work in Mexico? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, in fact, so it's all... It's already happened in many ways in the sense of tastings. Mm -hmm. There were a series of events run by two guys um, involved in the industry, and it was called Dardo, D-A-R-D-O. Yeah, I went to the one in Cancun. Cancun, Cancun? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you were there that year? Mm -hmm. I Because I, I was in Guadalajara, in Mexico City. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, too bad I couldn't have got down to join up with you. They were incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And that was what was fantastic with that was that they had different regions, mm -hmm. so different states of mezcal with producers, and it was tastings. And then in amongst them, they actually had food from those regions as well. Okay. So you could eat food from, uh, from Michoacan and drink mezcal from, from Michoacan. And that whole thing with terroir, it was just all like... And it was an incredibly open event where it's like there was no, they included all kind of, and not just guys under denomination of origin either, like guys yeah. making Anything. agave distillate that might yeah. not be under DO as yeah. well. It they was basically were distilled spirits of Mexico. Yeah. The only thing that wasn't included was tequila mm -hmm. because they didn't consider it, it's like an artisanal spirit. So it was only, it was Bacanora, Ricea, Sotol, Mezcal. And agave distillate. Yeah. 
Because many, like like you said, many many towns, many many village, they do their own spirit. Yeah. For them. Uh, totally. And they're not interested to, yeah, yeah. to put it into a label. Yeah. And, Pay the taxes. Exactly. Look at the Venonosa Etnica project when they got Tucci and the spirit that's been made in a little Huichol town for Mm -hmm. a long time that no one even knew about. Mm. You know, he discovered it by, I think he was reading like an anthropology book and saw photos of steel or drawings of steels and went hunting for it and found this guy making it, you know, like northern Alisco. So it had a lot of those elements where there was, you know, guys that had probably never going to export their product don't have a brand it's just like they've got their distillate there which is you know the most amazing thing about it and it's tasty the juice oh yeah Mm. and like stuff you've never seen before like agaves I've never heard of and you know there's so much variety in those what's being produced you know you you never get to see it unless you're constantly traveling over there another question that I have for you Phil because last week I was talking with some friends um, we were talking about champagne. Mm-hmm. There's a guy that works for Pernod Ricard. Yeah. Gets paid by Pernod Ricard, but he's also an employee from the French government. Is something happening with a like with you being a global mezcal ambassador? How do you mean? Like you don't get paid by the Mexican no, government, no. right? No, no, no. Wish I did. <laughs> yeah, right? But actually, in a way, I'm glad I don't. Yeah. Because then that would really make a political nightmare for the CRM. And for me, being Australian, yeah. as an official Mescal ambassador, because already there was quite a bit of uh, negative feeling in, from some elements, mm-hmm. going like, what's an Australian doing as a Mescal ambassador? Well, the, you know, the thing that no, 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 Mex- like, no one in Mexico did before, right? Yeah, yeah. I was the first Mescal yeah. ambassador. How, how do you get that um, recognition? Well, because of it came from the CRM, and it came after we had finished doing Hong Kong. And at the end of it, the president and his and the secretary and treasurer said, uh, "Phil, we'd like to make you a mescal, our first mescal ambassador, because of the work I was doing to promote." Yeah, off off your own back as yeah. well, you know, like yeah. think about Agave Love here and all the work that was done and then oh, in Singapore and, and it's yeah, as we said, it's not like it's never paid. It's not like money. the it's not like the government Mexican government was giving yeah. cash for that. That's the only thing the Mexican government would pay, and that was Pro Mexico or Sagapa, they would pay the cost for mescaleros or tequileros to go to those places. Yeah. So travel and Expenses. Yeah, travel expenses, and yeah. that was it. And then the other, only other thing that would come in play would be the embassy using diplomatic pouch to bring product in. Because that way, it's obviously for tasting, it's not for sale anyway, mm-hmm. uh, but that enables us to fast-track getting product in without all of the other... But that's And so they have never paid me. The only thing I've ever been paid for was my flights to Mexico when I first received my recognition. That's cool. And that's it. In fact, I had a conversation with this guy, Sandro, in Chihuahua, or Marfa, I think, Texas. And he was going, oh, you fucking ambassador. (laughs) I'm going, man, I don't get paid. He's going, oh, you don't? 
Oh, oh, that's right. No, you're, you're doing <laughs> no, it, but doing seriously, it the it was like he just changed like that from thinking like I'm not taking advantage. Yeah. I'm just doing it because I love it. Because you love it, yeah. I think we need more people like you guys. People that they care about some spirits. Of course, it doesn't matter if it's tequila or mezcal, but like. Of course, and they're the people that do push the culture and spread the culture, and and it doesn't exist in a city or a country with without those those people and it's like all around Australia we've got it you know like the guys from El Grotto and Perth are almost single-handedly responsible for agave spirits culture in WA yeah. yeah you know and then you've got guys like Dowdy, Jez, Happy who have opened Cantina OK which is mind-blowing to me that that bar exists yeah. in Sydney right now yeah. like I would never have thought I've always wanted that to do Sydney it I've always wanted to do it, it. but I, I was like how are we going to how are we going to sell all this mezcal you know, and, and to see how many people are drinking rare, amazing mezcals there and how it's been received it's makes me so happy yeah. that, you know, that, that that's happening here. Because it's, you know, it's a nerdy mezcal bar. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not tears where it's a party bar where everyone's smashing margaritas, you know. It's like most of the people go there to drink mezcal and that's super cool. And it's expensive. Oh, yeah. Man, it's seriously, I went and bought two mezcals. It cost me like sixty bucks. I was like, "Whoa!" I remember having. I I could buy this in Mexico for like hundred pesos. I I remember having a chat with Happy like when they first opened, and then a couple months in, and he's like, "Oh, we've almost run out of all the rest stuff." And I was like, "What?" I was like, "So obviously people taking the opportunity to, you know, there's some amazing things, you know, 1990 vintage mezcal from Ritual Khan that's been aged in glass. Like that's amazing." But yeah, people are buying it and it's not just people like us it's like yeah, yeah. you know punters are buying yeah. that that's amazing which is very cool. cool do you think that there's going to be more I mean probably from the past five years the scene in Sydney has been growing 100% like you were saying before I think the the general kind of passion and knowledge around it is getting better and better like you know you have people coming in and asking you for you know do you have any tapas date or do you have any maverick culture fuck me five years ago I wouldn't have even known they no. just go oh they don't even know mezcal, what mezcal it's, it's where we're going oh you need to try this yeah. this is really cool but also it was hard for us to get wild agave mezcals there was such a limited amount you could get there was a very few number of brands until I guess Bildo started originally importing the El Hogorio Hul- stuff Hulgoria, that was yeah. one of the first full yeah. ranges of wild agave I mean, Del Marge was here and that, but that was being imported into Adelaide, okay. and it was almost impossible to get. Yeah, but you could only really get like Tobola. Yeah, they weren't doing. No, they, well, they, no, they actually had a range. It was just really hard. The guy was hopeless in actually trying to get it. No, I remember because he used to he used to import another tequila as well. I think. Yeah, I can't remember, but I always remember trying to buy stuff off him, and it was, you know. Like, really expensive to buy. Yeah. I mean, not just the price of the bottle, but you had to pay shipping and the whole thing. It was just incredibly expensive exercise. Yeah. In fact, I got Ron to go to Think Spirits. Yeah. And then actually it started to become a lot more available. Well, simply because that's in Sydney as well. But also, Think Spirits has got a distribution. So, I mean, Delmagay and Illegal were the first. Illegal real... was the first one, really. Yeah. Yep. They were the first real mascals. Yep. Before that, we had you know Mont- Monte, Alban. Monte Alban and maybe yep. El Sonorio. Yep. 
you know, but they were just industrial mascots. That's yeah. all we had, and then we got Illegal, and that was pretty mind blowing. Even Mario, you couldn't buy. It was tough to get. Well, you, it had to come yeah. in with someone. Yeah. But the only thing you'd actually commercially buy was Montalban, and that was, I mean, for years. 20, 30 years probably, 20 years. Yeah, it was the only mascot we had. There was maybe another one, uh, what was it called, Guerrero, I think it was. Gusano Rojo? Yeah, maybe, but there was another one as well, I think, out of Guerrero, which once again was really nothing very special. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Illegal kind of broke the ground and we went, holy shit, this is great. And Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another pretty crazy story of an Australian <laughs> getting involved with mezcal. Absolutely. Mate, he ended in up... In Guatemala. Yeah, he was in Guatemala and he had his bank account skimmed. Yeah. He was going over to touch up his Spanish before he was travelling somewhere and he ended up having to stay there because he didn't have any money. Got a job at Cafe Nose. Yeah. Which is this amazing bar in Guatemala and John Rexler and him started smuggling mezcal, mezcal. back from... Across the border. Across the border. Into Guatemala. That's why it was called Illegal. Illegal. Yeah. And they still have this amazing mezcal bar, which is hidden inside Cafe Nose. You go through an old fridge door out to the back, and it's just beer and mezcal served out the so back. So Cafe Nose is not the actual bar? Cafe Nose is the bar. It's a bar, but yeah. they have a... But then they have a secret mezcal secret bar out the back. You go through a fridge door, yeah. and then you're only allowed to drink mezcal and beer out the back. That's awesome. Yeah, and then they, they bring a lot of like wild agave stuff back. On we used to, yeah. so they still have like some random bottlings of stuff, but obviously now the brand is very professional. And well, Bacardi's also involved as yeah. well. But yeah, so once if, again, those big players coming, seeing yeah, the opportunity, of course, which is just expanding the awareness because they've got the marketing dollars as well. Yeah, but it's funny because that brand as well have always been pretty out there. You know, yeah, totally. They definitely speak their mind. Yeah. yeah. You know, they've been ripping on And Trump that was the also time. the thing of, apart from Monte Alban, which was like, I think, 40% alcohol. Yeah. This was maybe 42, but it had a lot more focus on the flavor. It was made artisanally. Yep. As opposed to industrial, industrially. Uh, but that was really like one of the first, and it was also a low ABV. Yeah to make it approachable for a lot of people who are not used to drinking, you know, like what we're drinking today. Or hopefully we'll be drinking soon. 100%. <laughs> well, guys, um, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for talking about Agave Love. And well, I'd like to say can, that Reese has done a huge amount of work here in Sydney he, he, and he, Australia as well. Yes. Just promoting to the, to the customer True. Bang! In particular, mezcal. Yeah, and now you see places like the Prince of York that they have specific menu with um, agave spirit. You know, like they have anywhere this guy goes, you're gonna find. It. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I think the onflow of all these events we've done and all this stuff is that it's it used to be you'd have to go to a specific bar to get a good mezcal. Sure. I feel like most good cocktail bars, I can walk in and I can find something delicious that I want to drink. You know, it used to be like, oh, I'll get a mezcal, fuck, what do you have? But now, like, almost every bar has a good, good maybe not a big one, but a good selection of mezcal. Yeah. And that's leaps and bounds from where we were. And when I first opened Pacifico in 97, I remember it was very normal for every bar to have one tequila. To have two was really pushing it. 
And if the two, they had two tequilas, it was usually Cuervo Especial and yeah. maybe 1800. Yeah. And that was like the upmarket. You'd have, you'd have you an upsell. To, and now you go to bars <laughs> and they got like a whole selection of just agave spirits. Yeah, it's come such a long Which way. Which is fantastic. That's, that's amazing. Well, guys, thank you for, uh, for this cool chat and hopefully you can join me in the second, the second part this episode if there's anything to drink i'll be there all right perfect. <laughs> otherwise <laughs> no i'm joking thank you diego it's thank a pleasure you, thank my friend you, Phil. thank you Reese. and uh, see you next time guys yeah.